Welcome to the Rocky Valley Podcast. This is Pastor Jason Moe. We're glad you stopped in to have a listen, and we hope that this blesses you in some way. And before we get started with our message this morning, I would like to start by saying that the very fact that we gather this morning freely to worship is in no small part a gift of all of those who gave the ultimate sacrifice for us serving in our country, in our armed forces. And we need never lose sight of the tremendous sacrifice that was given to us by countless families, countless men, countless women, countless boys, countless girls, so that we could enjoy many of the freedoms that we enjoy today. And it came at no small cost far too often. And so this morning, Memorial Day, uh, we, it was originally designed for the purpose of remembering those uh, who lost their lives in active duty. But this morning, in addition to those who lost their lives in active duty, if you are here and you have served or are serving in any of our armed forces, I would like to ask you to please stand for just a moment. If you served or are serving in any of our armed forces... Thank you. Not a good enough word, but it's all I've got. So thank you. Now that being said, as we transition into our message, which will be from Psalms chapter 51. Who can tell me what starts next week here at Rocky Valley Baptist Church? Next Sunday morning, what starts? Revival. Revival. Amen. Somebody was calling the answer in on that one. Phone a friend. This morning we'll be looking into a subject that I believe is of paramount importance to us this morning. And it is the path or the way of revival. The way of revival. Now let me tell you, we have booked a great speaker. We have a wonderful musician coming to lead us in music. We have signs that have made their way from the fellowship hall to the sanctuary, that have made their way out to the streets and in the yards. We have flyers that were so graciously made up to be given out for us. We have a lot of, of preparation that has gone in to the services that begin next Sunday morning. Today I'm going to ask you throughout the service to, to take part in some specific Tough word, specific prayer based on the services that begin next Sunday morning. And that being said, all of those things that we have done ensure that next Sunday we will have a series of services that we call revival. But friends, if we are going to truly have revival in this church, in your life, in my life, we're going to have to do some hard work this week in preparation. And so as we look to the Word of God in the book of Psalms chapter 51, we're going to be looking at the way of revival. Now this isn't the first time that I've preached this text. It certainly will not be the last time that I have preached through this text with you. And probably uh, at least once a year we'll come to this text because I don't think there is a better text to study 
prior to revival. But please stand with me as we honor the reading of the holy words of our holy God from the book of Psalms chapter 51. And we will read all 19 verses this morning. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, cleanse me from my sin, for I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is always before me against you. You only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight, that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in my sin my mother did conceive me. Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part you will make me no wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me hear joy and gladness, that the bones you have broken may rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out all of my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners shall be converted to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, the God of my salvation and my tongue shall sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth shall show forth your praise. For you do not desire sacrifice or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. And these, O God, you will not despise. Do good in your good pleasure to Zion. Build the walls of Jerusalem. Then you shall be pleased with the sacrifices of righteousness, with burnt offering and whole burnt offering. And they shall offer the bulls on your altar. Let us pray, Father God. God, we come before you, we ask that you would do what only you can do, and that is dwell among your people this morning, Lord God. God, we pray that any spirit that is not your Holy Spirit would be bound and thrown from this place at this very moment, that we would be able to tune out anything that would cause us to focus on anything but you, Lord Jesus, that you would be glorified, that you would be lifted up, and we will give you the praise and the honor and the glory that you deserve, Lord Jesus. It's in your precious name that we pray. And all of God's people said, and you may be seated. Now this morning we could go several different directions as we look through Psalms chapter 51. But I believe in, in light of our upcoming revival, we need to look at three things from our text this morning. And first is the foundation for revival. We look here because far too often I fear that we sit in our pews, we sit in our churches, we sit in our homes, and we say that we desire to have revival, but we fail to realize that we have to pay a price for revival. We fail to realize that there are some foundational things that we have to put in place in our lives if we are going to have a revival in our lives. And one of these foundations is for revival is that we have to have an explanation of the scripture in our lives. If you look to the superscript, uh, in case you didn't know, the superscript, those are those words. For most of you, it comes somewhere around where it says Psalm 51, and it's before verse 1. And these are important. These are in our Bible for a reason. It tells us when this psalm was written and to whom and why it was written. If you don't have a superscript in your Bible, I'm going to read it to you. But if you do, it'll probably say something like a prayer of repentance to the chief musician. A psalm of David when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. If you look at that superscript, 
you see that this psalm that David has written here was written after the prophet Nathan had come to him. So after the preacher came to see King David. And so remember the context of this. So in case somebody doesn't know it, I want to go over it. And remember the context. David had been, been wandering around on his rooftop. King David was on his rooftop. He looked over and he saw Bathsheba in all of her beauty taking a bath. And he decided that he had to have her. He lusted after her, he sought after her, and he attained her. But Bathsheba became pregnant. And in order to cover up their sin of adultery, David had her husband killed. Now he did not pull a knife himself and slit his throat, but he may as well have as he sent him into the battle in a place where Uriah had no chance to survive. And so he essentially had him killed because if he could have him killed, he could have Bathsheba for himself and he wouldn't have to cover up this adulterous affair that he had taken a part of. And so for a year, David had ruled and governed and judged with the guilt of this sin in his life. And in 2 Samuel, we see that Nathan the prophet comes to David and he uses a story about a shepherd. And the story goes like this. He says there was a wealthy shepherd and he had a traveling companion come to his home and he wanted to entertain him by serving rack of lamb for dinner. And so the wealthy shepherd goes out, walks past all of his flock and all of his plenty, makes his way to the peasant's house who has but one little ewe lamb. And he slays that person's lamb. He slays the peasant's lamb and serves it. So he takes the only lamb from the peasant, bypassing all of his wealth and all of his things. And as Nathan told David the story, David was so infuriated. He said, this man... This wealthy man, he should pay. Not only should he pay, he should pay dearly. And with four words from the man of God, David's life began to change. When the prophet Nathan looked at him and said, You are the man. David, you are the man. Only after being confronted by the man of God with a word from God did David begin to say the words, I have sinned. You see, David was going about his merry way. David had covered this up. Nobody in the, in the whole world really knew what had gone on. But the prophet Nathan had divinely been revealed to him by God that he should go and he should use this story to illustrate to David. And David, upon hearing it, starts to change some things. It brings us to where he's at in this Psalm chapter 51 where he talks of his sin and his transgressions. And my friends, if we are going to have a revival like what King David experienced, we must have the Word of God in our lives. It will not happen absent from the Word of God. Now, I'm not just talking about Sunday school. I'm not just talking about Wednesday nights. I'm not even just talking about coming to the morning service at your local church. I'm talking about if you want a real revival in your life, if you really want to be on fire from God in a way that you haven't been on fire from God, then the first place you need to look is what is your habits in regard to the Word of God. Do you desire to read it? Do you desire to study it? Do you covet your time? Do you set apart your time to hear from God, from His Word? Buckle down and make a commitment to hear from God. 
You remember the story of Ezekiel in the valley of the dry bones, don't you? God told Ezekiel to tell the dry bones what he said. Tell them to hear from God by reading the word. The prophet Ezekiel preaches to the dry bones and the winds of God blow across and they rise up as an army unto God. My friends, the move from dry bones to an army of God is always going to start by hearing the word of God. It always starts by hearing from God. If we could manifest it in any other way, we would manifest it in some other way, but it is always going to start with a hearing of the word of God. And so I ask you this morning, have you prioritized your personal study time? Have you prioritized your Sunday school time, your Wednesday night time, your Bible study time, whatever your time is that you have set apart for the Word of God? Have you prioritized it in your life in such a fashion that no matter what else comes up, the Word of God is going to happen in your life? It is going to be the paramount importance. Have you committed already? Have you committed already to our revival services that begin next week? Have you already said to yourself in your heart, I will be at these services because I wish to be revived by the word of God. I wish to hear the word of God sung and proclaimed. Have you already made that commitment? You say, well, uh, you know, I was thinking if nothing else came up, I'd probably come a few nights. My friends, your decision to come to revival next week is not going to be made next Monday. It's going to be made today. If you make the commitment and the decision in your heart and your mind that you're going to be here, then my friends, you will be here. But if you leave it wishy-washy and wait for the winds to blow, I can promise you the winds of time will blow you away. Now, I'm not saying that there's no excuse could ever come up the day of. People get sick, commitments come up, work goes late, those things happen. But what I'm saying is, by and large, if you're going to be here next week, you'll make that decision today. And I ask you to make that decision as a church today that you will be in attendance of our revival services next week to hear a word from God. And so the foundation of revival is found in an explanation of Scripture, but it's also found in an examination of oneself. And this is where it's going to get a little tough on us, but, but bear with me. It was as tough on me all week long as it will be on all of us today. Psalm 51, the greatest chapters of revival in any pages of the Bible to me begin when David hears the word of God and starts to look at himself. Nathan said, you're the man. But before Nathan said, you're the man, think about what David was doing. He was hearing about someone else's sin. He was hearing a story about someone else. And what was he saying? I'm very quick with all this sin in my life to, to, to overlook my own sin and say, I cannot believe that that shepherd would be doing that. I cannot believe that he would be doing that. David starts to think of someone else's sin. Oh, how that man needs revival. Oh, how that man needs to get right with God. But when Nathan says to him, you are the man, he says that also through the Holy Spirit to each and every single one of us here today. I don't know about you. But sometimes I need to hear from the Holy Spirit. Jason, you are the man that this word is for. You are the man this word is for. Depending on your Bible translation, these 19 verses contain anywhere from 33 to 35 personal pronouns. For those of you who have not been in English class in a while, let me point out just a few of those to you. Have mercy on me. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me from my 
iniquity. Blot out my iniquity. You get the picture? David starts to look at himself. He quits looking at everyone else. He's essentially sitting here saying, it's not my brother, it's not my sister, but it's me, O Lord. Not my brother, not my sister. It's, it's me, O Lord, standing in the need of prayer. David had spent nearly a year judging others, ruling others, saying, this ought to be this way, this ought to be that way, this should be this way, this one should be judged. And yet the whole year that he looked over on everyone else's problems and everyone else's sin, he lived his life with such a sin in his own life. And I wonder if anyone else here has a tendency to have 20-20 vision when it's someone else's sin and blind as a bat when it comes to your own. I know that I am. But let me tell you something about what happens when you start to truly examine yourself. You start to really recognize your sinfulness. David here starts to look at himself and starts to say things about himself that are quite honest. They are quite real. They are quite true. When he says things like, I have sinned. You see, we don't really do that often enough in our own lives. We don't really look at ourselves and call ourselves what we are. We don't really want to look at ourselves and say, these are my transgressions. Now, don't get me wrong. I get it. We've all had that conversation. I'm just preaching. Just preach, I'm just sinner saved by grace. I'm just a sinner saved by Oh, I just sin every day, preacher. But we don't really look at ourselves when we say it. We've just been trained that those are the things that we say about ourselves. But when we really examine ourselves and we look inside, we begin to realize that we fall so short of the glory that God deserves. And we begin to say to ourselves, I, I can't believe that I would allow myself to go down this road for all the time that I've allowed myself to go down this road. David here is done with his excuses. As he examines himself and he sees his own sinfulness, he doesn't stand up and say, well, Bathsheba, was, she was taking a bath on the roof. My goodness, she was, she, it was her fault. I'm just a man. I, I'm, going to, I'm going to have temptations. It's someone else's fault. Instead, David says, it's my sin. I did it. She was there. But I didn't have to do what I did. And I have sinned. He uses a few words. One he uses is transgression. This literally means stepping across a boundary. See, God had drawn a boundary around Bathsheba, hadn't he? When she was married. God's boundary around said she belongs to him. She doesn't belong to any other man. And David had walked right through that boundary. He says, I have transgressed against you, God. He uses the word iniquity. That speaks of something twisted or perverted. And I would say that David's plot to have this man killed was very twisted. He says, blot out my perversions of the truth. Blot out my iniquities, God. He uses the word evil. That is... That what is contrary to the will and the way of God. And he uses the word sin. Missing the mark of God's will. By the end of verse 4, David looks at himself and he says, I am so vile a sinner that anything said about me would be right. 
whatever you could say against me, you'd be found just when you speak it. There's, there's so bad, there's nothing you could say that wouldn't be true. Let me just tell you something, friends, before we move on. Revival will never come until the people of God hear from the Word of God, look at themselves, recognize their sinfulness, fall on their face, and beg God to forgive them. It will not come to a filthy vessel. Until we say to a holy God, I have sinned, wash me, O Lord. Now let me be clear before we move on, because I know a lot of people here have a tendency to do this. I have a tendency to do this. I'm going to guess that there's not a person here this morning who had an affair with his neighbor's wife and then had his neighbor killed. And so if we're not very careful, we say, well, you're right, preacher boy, any murderous adulterers in the house, they need to get right before we'll have revival. That's right, preacher, anybody, any murderer out there, boy, he better repent before we're going to have revival. Any, anybody who's, who's stolen money from the bank, boy, that guy better repent before we have revival. But can I just tell you that God says, of your little bitty pet sin in your life, does it separate you from me? It separates you from me. Whatever it is, it's missing the mark that I've laid ahead of you. And you need to lay that before God before you can have revival in your life. God, please wash me of my iniquities. Purge me of my sin. So look quickly not only at the foundation of revival, but let's also look at the hindrance to revival. Now, I don't believe that I've said anything to any of you so far this morning you didn't already know. If you've been in church any amount of time in your life, I haven't said anything this morning that I couldn't have given you my notes and you couldn't have put together a lesson that was just as good as what I've put together. Yes, we need to confess our sins before God, preacher. You're absolutely right. We're a sinful people and we need to ask forgiveness. But can I just ask you this question, and maybe it's just a silly question, but it's a question nonetheless that pops into my silly brain. If you already know what's necessary, then why aren't we already having revival? Well, if you already know the steps, why does revival tarry in our lives? If you already know the path, why ain't you walking down it? English teachers, I used personal pronouns earlier. I'm allowed to use ain't now. Why aren't we already having revival? We're going to see a few things that I believe David had to overcome. And we must also overcome if we're going to see revival happening in our lives. Why does revival seem to tarry? In verse 4, we see him say something. He says, against you, you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight, that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. This verse to me shows us that now that David has a broken and a contrite heart, he's gotten rid of something in his life. He's gotten rid of something in his life that wasn't there before for him to have to say this. He's gotten rid of the pride. That prevented him from being able to say this very statement. Whatever you say about me, God is right. You see, before David's 
heart was broken and contrite, he'd spent a year hiding his sin, doing it himself, covering it himself, leading himself, being the king all by himself, not needing God, being far away from God, trying to hide from God. He's saying, I deserve it all. And isn't that a true absence of pride in our lives? Because what's our natural tendency? You say something about me, the first thing I'm going to do is probably defend myself, isn't it? And David here has lost all of his pride. He said, whatever you say about me is right. I deserve it all. I deserve anything you could throw my way. 2 Chronicles 7.14 says that if my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray, then I will hear from heaven and heal their land. Proverbs 6, 16 and 17 records seven abominations against God. The first one is called a proud look. Can I put it simply this morning? Where pride is so strong, God will not be there. It's quite simply. Where pride is so strong, God will not be there. How can you say that, Pastor? Well, I say that because God will not share his glory. God will not share his adoration. God will not share... Who he is. You see, when we think we can handle life on our own, when we think we can handle church on our own, when a pastor gets to where he thinks he doesn't need the help of God to lead a church, when a leadership of a church gets to the point that they think that they're smart enough or capable enough to lead it without leaning on the Holy Spirit of God, when you get so strong in your life that you think you're capable of even running your own life without leaning on the Holy Spirit of God, then God quite often says, okay, go ahead. I ain't going to hang out there because your vessel isn't prepared for me. 1 Peter 5 and 5 says that God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. My friends, if we're going to have revival, we have to have a foundation, but we have to remove the hindrance of pride in our lives. Look at me with, look, look with me at verse 8. He says, make me hear joy and gladness that the bones you have broken May rejoice. I think here what you have is David using a, using a, a, a shepherd term, and I'm, I'm going to share it with you. David's acknowledging how dry and empty his life had been without the presence of God. He's saying, I don't want to go one more day without you, God. I don't want to go one more day separated from you. If, if David were alive today, he would probably testify something like this. He said, I come in here every Sunday and I'm tired of leaving the same way I came in. I'm tired of standing up when I'm supposed to stand up. I'm tired of sitting down when I'm supposed to sit down. I know when I'm supposed to clap. I know when I'm supposed to say amen. I'm tired of doing all the things that I'm supposed to do and realizing deep down in my heart that it's been a long time, God, since I felt you. I've done everything that the church has taught me to do. I've been through the motions like nobody's business. But it's been a quite a while since I felt your presence in my life, God, and I do not want to go through the motions anymore. I will not be apathetic, unemotional, disconnected anymore to your presence. I won't be satisfied with anything short of hearing from you and your Holy Spirit. You see, as a shepherd, David understood something. Oftentimes, sheep, if they would stray away from the shepherd and they would get 
out near the danger, the shepherd would call them back. But if you had a sheep who refused to be called back, who continued to teeter near the edge of that cliff or near the edge of those woods or near where the predators lurk, that shepherd would do something that sounds quite violent to us, but it was really out of love. That shepherd would scoop that sheep up because he loved him so much and he'd break his legs. And then he'd put a splint on those legs and he would pull that sheep back close to him. And he would say, I love you so much that I've broken your bones to pull you close to me so that you can't get out there and get hurt. Let me tell you what I'm saying. If you spend too much time in your sin, teetering out there on the edge far away from God and you won't come back, don't be surprised when God pulls you back in by lovingly breaking a bone. I don't mean literally breaking your leg. Maybe he has broken someone's leg to pull them close. But I mean when things start to fall apart in your life. When things seem to get dry in your life. When your relationships seem to crumble. When things don't seem to be going your way. When you just don't understand why all these bad things seem to be happening. Sometimes that's God calling his sheep back into his fold. Because quite frankly, God is much more concerned with your holiness than your happiness. God would rather have you close to him than out there where you think you're doing what you want to do. And my friends, that's not a mean God. That's not an unloving God. That is a gracious God. That he wouldn't just let you go right off the edge. David is saying here, this last year of my life, it has been like my bones have been broken. God, I want you to set them right. And I want you to let these broken bones rejoice. God, let me rejoice in you again. I don't want to be distant from you, God. I want to be joyous in you, Lord. And my friends, if you're going to have a revival in your life, you're going to have to examine yourself. You're going to have to deal with your sin. You're going to have to remove your pride. And you're also going to have to be honest with yourself and say, I have not been where I want to be. And I'm not going to stay there anymore. I'm not going to continue down this same path. I am going to draw near to you, God. Restore my joy. Because there's a foundation of revival, there's a hindrance to revival. And finally, there are the results of revival. Look with me at verse 10. He says, create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Verse 12, he says, restore to me the joy of your salvation. You see, revival is primarily for the saved. We always think about bringing in all the lost people and having all the great big altar calls. But really, revival is really for the church. I know most of you have heard this, but I'm going to say it again. You can't can't revive something that's never been vibed in the first place. So revival is for those who have been saved. That's who it's designed for. It's to light a fire under the church that we would go out and witness to the lost. 
Because we could bring every lost person we'd ever met in here for the next four days of revival and Brother Rick Coram could preach the paint off the walls. But it won't reach nearly as many people as if Brother Rick Coram can preach the paint off the walls and we would rise up out of this place and say, I'm going to put the gospel on my lips and I'm going to go sing the praises to him and think about how many people would be affected by the gospel at that point. Revival is for the church. And I know some of you are out here saying this morning, well, Brother Jason, why didn't you preach a more encouraging, why didn't you preach a more uplifting message this morning? It's the week before revival. Why didn't you smile bigger and talk faster or slower? Maybe I talked too fast. You come in here this morning, Brother Jason, and you talked about my sin and my pride. How bad a message is that the week before revival? That's not very uplifting. That's like going in the locker room for the championship game and saying, guys, the other team's better than we are. What's the matter with you, Brother Jason? Let me just tell you something this morning, and I don't mean to be mean, but I could get me a more modern microphone. I know they have them online. And I could get me some of them skinny jeans. I don't know why y'all are laughing at that. I could find me a cool t-shirt with a Lion of Judah on it. Get some of them crest whitening strips. Stand up here and smile real big. Use fancy slogans like, your best life now. Every day's a Friday. And be real encouraging. And some people would probably like it. But I love you too much to do that. One, I love you too much to put on skinny jeans. But I love you too much <laughs> to do the rest of that. Now listen to me real close this morning. We're about to be done. Friend, if you are not right with God, if you aren't right with God, there is nothing more encouraging than for me to tell you you need to get right with God. I couldn't tell you nothing. I couldn't smile no bigger. Let me tell you something. You don't want every day to be a Friday, friend. If you ain't right with God, you get right with God, and every day can be a Sunday. It can be a celebration of the resurrection of your dead bones coming back to life. And you can say, praise Jesus and his praise ever be on your lips. And there ain't nothing I could ever do, no fire we could shoot from the stage that would be more exciting than for the people of God to get right with God. And friends, when we get right with God, there's a few things we're going to do. Verse 14 and 15 says, we will shew forth our praise. His praise will ever be on our lips. Verse 19 says that he will be pleased with our sacrifices of praise. Friends, I want everyone here, especially me, especially your preacher, to have a genuine revival. But let me just tell you something. It won't start next Sunday. It won't tarry till next Sunday. If you're going to have a genuine revival in your heart, it's going to start this morning. It's going to start right now. It's going to start when you're willing to examine yourself, bring forth your iniquities and say, God, blot out my transgressions. God, I need forgiveness. Cleanse me of my iniquities. God, remove my pride. God, I don't want to leave here the way I came in. God, I want you to renew the joy of my salvation. And I want real worship in my life. And so I ask you, Rocky Valley and guests, 
Will you do that this morning? Are you willing to do that this morning? Are you willing to see your dry bones become an army unto God? By laying aside your pride, saying, God, bring a great revival in my soul. Let's pray. Father God, God, we don't deserve your grace, Lord. And we don't deserve your mercy. God, there's nothing about us that's worthy to come before you, Lord. But God, we thank you that your word tells us that you will not turn away a broken and contrite heart. So God, we pray for revival in our own lives. Because the only way revival comes to a church is if it comes to each individual inside of that church. God, if there be something hindering one of your children this morning, I pray you convict them until they can do nothing short of coming to lay it at your altar. God, I pray you move upon us. That we would not be too proud to say, it's me, it's me, O Lord, who needs revival. God, most importantly, we promise that whatever you do, we will give you the glory. And we will recognize that it's by your grace. And it is in your precious saving name that we pray this morning, Jesus. Amen. Thanks again for joining in. We sincerely hope that this has blessed you in some way. If you have any further questions, feel free to give us a call or check us out on the web at www.rockyvalleybaptist.org. Thank you and have a blessed day.